I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Gunakonai people. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Now, as much as I love a Pinot, Pinot mosh pit as it was at the Royal Exhibition Buildings and 4,000 people drinking one grape variety is wild, um, it, it, it went, we're certainly not going back that way. We've come back to a bit more session-based and just pulling it back. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. If you work in wine, chances are you know Dan Sims. If you don't, I question your integrity. Dan does it all. He is the founder and CEO of Rebel Global, the company behind those epic food and wine events. He is an artist in all things beverage communication and engagement. Hi, Dan. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Shantae. What an intro. And also I've got to say, I'm a massive fan of your podcast and I'm so grateful to have the chance to chat to you today. I feel very humbled. Oh, that is so kind of you. And I've been wanting to get you on here for some time. And I know, well, you're a busy man. And I say that to a lot of people, but you really are a busy man. I was looking at what I was going to ask you and I thought, you know what? It's probably easiest to say, is there anything in the beverage industry that you don't do? I don't make wine. I, never. You've never made a wine. Well, it, I've, I've never made a wine and I say that as a caveat. Um, I did do a wine in Argentina, um, a Malbec, but I won't say I made it because that would be disrespectful for all uh, winemakers. But as a, a very good friend of mine, Lincoln Riley, once said to me, he said, Dan, we're not winemakers, we're wine stylists uh, and very uh, thing. But I, I don't make wine. Um, and it's it's a hard thing making wine, and I have too much respect for those amazing wine people to try and uh, to do that. But I um, but yeah, there's there's so much to do in wine, right? Like there's there's so many avenues of it, and I think it's all part of it is that curiosity around wine in general, right? And I think, but yeah, I'll, I'll leave wine making to the winemakers. <laughs> Well, that's the only thing I could think of because for everything else, you have had a hand in Nelly, all the other facets of the industry. But we have to start somewhere. So take me back to the beginning. How did your intrigue in wine all begin? Jeez, it's going a fair way back. I think I was working in um, a restaurant uh, in Hampton and it was a just a great suburban restaurant. But it was run by uh, two brothers uh, who'd worked, uh, one of them had worked at the Latin uh, in Melbourne. Um, and I just, I was doing, as you do, finished school. Um, I went to uni. I was very bad at it. Uh, I wasn't, well, I didn't really find my place there, but it was, I was curious about hospitality and then I just got curious about wine and I, were very, I was very lucky that they, I said that to one of the brothers and they took me under their wing and started showing me or, and different wines and, and got me, and got me intrigued. And I think, and again, I say that, I say that word curious a bit. It really sparked that curiosity and I was intrigued. It was like, well, how does this work? What, why is it different and you know, where does it all come from? And I, I think that was really the catalyst of it and then just went from there. And, you know, I went to market, went to wine regions as you do and and then got to work with um, uh, great restaurants and even retail and, and, and tasting and learning and listening. I think that was really that was really it. Is that the short version? <laughs> My memory serves me correctly. You actually you summed it up really well. How did you – back then, you know, it – then I make you sound really no, old. It is back then. <laughs> I joined a board. I was invited to join a board of Wine Victoria, and then I officially said, "That's it. I'm now officially old." <laughs> I've, I've reached that point. The- Someone has asked me to join a board. I'm actually old. <laughs> no, you're just the wisest person there. I love it. So, how did you go about kind of 
going, okay, I'm interested in wine. I'm curious. I know I've got to do some reading. How else did you go about starting then? Because there wasn't perhaps as many um, really established avenues of how to go about being a sommelier then. I mean, there was a little bit, but tell me a little bit about the process then. Yeah, you're totally right. There, there wasn't the more established training courses like WSET and Court of Master Sommeliers. They just went around. And at the time I did um, just a couple of wine courses that are available at the time. Um, but then it was really learnt on the on the ground in restaurants. And I was lucky enough to work with some really great people and be mentored. Um, and, and it was really from opening up bottles and tasting and I've been asking questions, doing a huge amount of reading, doing a lot of tasting and doing a lot of listening. Um, and I think that's the that was the, really the biggest thing then was just listening to how people spoke about wine, uh, how they communicated it, uh, and really then trying to fine-tune that to how you took that information and condensed it and then communicated to that people in the restaurant. And that was the that was always the one that that was always the part that really got me interested was wine is in essence something really simple and amazing and beautiful, but we tend to make it into something so insanely complicated and insanely nerdy. Because you, you can't help but do it because the, the more you learn about wine, the more you realise how much you don't know, and the more enthusiastic you get, the more you want to tell people how much you've learned and share that enthusiasm. But for some people, it's <laughs> they just want a glass of wine in a restaurant and, uh, and have a meal. So it's how to, yeah, it was really sort of a lot of on the on the ground training at that time. But then, um, uh, you know, I've done, we said one or two and I, with a quarter, I was joined uh, the team with Sommeliers Australia at the time and we were doing a huge amount of tastings there. Uh, and then the quartermaster Sommeliers came out and, again, I was one of the first crew to, to do that uh, one and two or the and and then really that was sort of uh, that was really this catalyst of having a lot more education opportunities for younger sommeliers to come up through the ranks that was more uh, structured uh, than it certainly was then I mean you've been so integral in developing you know the industry and, and the sommelier kind of um, experience in Australia but I want to go back a little bit to what you're talking about in, in a restaurant floor. Um, you were named Sommelier of the Year in 2008. What was your time like on the floor? And what did you what did you love about being on a restaurant floor? And, and what were some of the things that you perhaps didn't love so much? I, because it's been so long since I've worked in restaurants, I have a wonderful nostalgic view of it. Um, and... Oh, I worked at, I suppose, when I was lucky enough to get that award, I was actually working at 15 in Melbourne. Um, uh, that's the Jamie Oliver restaurant. and But really probably what it came back for was when I was at Taxi Dining Room and we uh, had got um, a restaurant of the year the year before and we had a really big list and we had a really good crew. So I think working in restaurants, it was one, it was the excitement of, sharing amazing wine because Melbourne at the time was really embracing a whole range of different uh, food cultures uh, uh, and and that's from, from all over uh, the world, which was amazing. So uh, as a result, there was more uh, particularly European wines coming in. So uh, And then also at the same time, there was this interest in Australian wine of different varieties and all that. So there was this really sort of groundswell 
um, of really exciting things happening. And I think the one thing I really miss is the camaraderie. Uh, yeah, yeah, there was, it was all, it was like we were all in this together kind of vibe. And I know that sounds a little bit, you know, again, rose-colored glasses kind of thing. And But we all worked hard. We played hard. Um, but we, I think we also worked together. So we would regularly catch up with uh, mates at other restaurants, um, whether it be Circa or anywhere really, uh, and we'd catch up after work and taste wines and just get interesting bottles and talk about it. Uh, and I think I really miss that um, connection with people. And then also the, the customers as well. Like you, you've always got the yeah, – I was really bad. I could never remember customers' names, but I could remember their faces and what they drank. And, and again, um, I think it was that just, again, excitement of really exciting wines. But, again, that people were generally curious about it and how do you take a complex question and then summarise it up in 30 seconds to a minute because really that's the role of the sommelier. You know, they've got a – you've got a list of, you know, taxi, we had 2,500 wines. We had to find what somebody wanted within their price point, matched to their dish within 30 seconds to a minute. And I think that was the real challenge that I really like. I, I really enjoyed. And I, I hope and I think I have, and I've taken that for what we do today still, is in that uh, with events, uh, whether it be Palooza or Mold Cheese Festival or even Piccolo recently, is how do you take a, a, a very complex topic and condense it, not – you know, well, sometimes people in wine talk about we want to dumb things down. I hate that word. That just gives such disrespect to the people who are in front of you. I think it's it's a, a way to simplify the message and empower them to make a decision and feel comfortable in that decision. I think that's the real trick and I, I hope we still do. I, that's really what I still take through to today with the events that we do. Does that answer your question? <laughs> it definitely does. It definitely does. And I'm so passionate about this as well. Um, I feel like we really align when we talk about um, g- getting to the heart of the messaging. And like you said, not it's simplifying. It's also just making it accessible. But I want to ask you, what does excellent wine service look like to you? Oh, gee, great question. Really great question. Um, excellent wine service is present when it needs to be and <laughs> uh, and it's just I'd almost say anticip- they anticipate where that uh, customer is going. I think fundamentally, yes, absolutely I want knowledge. Um, yes, I want excellent service skills. You know, these are all ticking the boxes. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm here to have dinner with my beautiful partner or my friends. I'm not there to be lectured or educated I'm there to maybe to be sparked um, with conversation around that um, but it's 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 like anything the best service is the one you don't even notice right and you go to a restaurant everything just works seamlessly and you're like this is great like the the, the service staff they were there and they weren't and then it was all it all just flowed really well and I think like any front of house person you, you, you go for you always chase that perfect service where everything just works and you never get it right you never get there but you sort of you, you chase it so I think when it, again back to service is that 
that, that's seamless, really, that's, that, that also listens to what I'm saying and, and provides me with a, an experience that I'm looking for and can potentially take me out of my comfort zone a little bit, but not too far out. Um, does that, yeah, does that make sense? <laughs> it absolutely does. And I, I'm really glad that you mentioned the word education and that it's not a part of it because I still hear a lot of people today say where similes are there to educate. And I totally disagree with that because I do think they have a lot of information, but you're not there for a schooling. You really are there for an experience. And so that should help you on your way to have a wonderful experience. And and you're right. It's about adaptability, isn't it? It's like read, read the customer, read what they're there for, and then provide it. And so you have to be a chameleon you have to be able to change your colors and, 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 you know, you know, read what's happening and then go, how do I make you have a great experience whatever it is yeah totally you don't know who that person is in front of you you don't know their experience um and and you know i've too many times i've heard you know when some wanker sommelier starts telling this person about what the wine is and all that and they end up being the winemaker uh you know so it's like <laughs> it's like well no that's wrong because i made it um but it's it, it is the education I, I like the word empower um because it's 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 enabling that person to make it to make a decision based on you know their their own comfort zone. Um, and if a sommelier can do that in a restaurant situation, fantastic. If I'm looking to explore and go, hey, let's take me on a journey here. Uh, absolutely, go for it. And sometimes you're going to hit it, sometimes you won't. But you, you know, there, there's a mutual sort of understanding of yeah, I'm, I'm in your hands. Let's go. But also as you said, be a chameleon, observe, observe that person. I think that's that's really an essence of hospitality in general, right? You've got to observe the room um, and listen to what the customer is saying. Again, I go back to my early days and learning about wine. I was listening a lot, uh, hearing what they're saying. You go, well, actually, yeah, this, this person said this. Okay, maybe we could take them there. Um, but, again, still be able to take, take all that information, distill it down in a very – uh, a very succinct and understandable way. Sounds easy, right? <laughs> oh, no, it totally is. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's an adage anyway. It's like, it's like even in sort of public speaking or they say, yeah, it's not about you, it's not about you, it's not about you. Uh, I think that's that thing at the core really. It's, again, another sommelier mate said to me once, uh, again, Lick and Riley said uh, to a young gun song who is probably getting a little bit, you know, pushy with certain things, is, and I don't know if I can say this. You might need to edit this out. I uh, said, so, "Mate, this this wine this wine list is not your Venus wet dream. Um, this is uh, we're here to service the people, take them on a journey with a level of expectation, but still uh, give them something with comfort um, and service and hospitality, really." Mm. Oh, whoever said that is my absolute champion. I love that. And people need to hear it more. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I mean, Lincoln Riley again. Lincoln Riley is the word with the frame of wisdom. Oh, bless him, bless him. You've always championed championed that accessibility of wine, and you are have so much humility. But in a restaurant setting, do you also think that it, there is a place for a bit of tenacity and a little bit of a place for ego? Is that necessary sometimes? Gee, ego, um, ego. Maybe if we reframe the word ego and to call it confidence. I think in hospitality there is a lot of ego and ego can go down to a world of 
when I think ego, I think the bad parts of hospitality to a point, and that goes into bullying and all of that stuff, which, again, you know, I come from that. Uh, it's probably towards the tail end of that generation of hardcore militant chefs. Um, and so, so yeah, so there's probably a bit of a triggering thing. But I think absolutely you need confidence. Um, uh, it's absolutely confidence. Yeah, I think that's part of it because you've got to back yourself. Um, and you have to be confident because you're stepping on the stage of the restaurant floor. There's, there's got to be, you've got to really back yourself. And again, for a chef or putting out a dish or recommending a wine, that is confidence because you're backing yourself and you're saying that this is what I recommend and this is what I, I put myself behind that. Um, but yeah, I, I know what you mean about ego, but I, I just, yeah, for me, I see that part as, um, that, that goes down a very different path of hospitality, which I hope and uh, and has been changing a lot. Um, and that's when I say, yeah. It, it, and that goes into a particularly male-dominated um, industry in the past, and thank God that is changing significantly. However, there is still that undercurrent. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think ego does have a negative connotation, even if we kind of look at the word and think more personality traits. So I like that you said confidence because I always found it was walking a fine line between humility, accessibility, but then also as a woman, I also found that need for confidence and um, assertiveness when, you know, perhaps I was, you know, maybe sometimes, you know, being pushed over a little bit by a particular strong-willed customer that wanted to let me know that, you know, as a woman, I probably didn't know what I was talking about. I always found I was like, okay, that that's when I need a little bit more of that kind of strong, assertive poise to make sure that I, I can I can command um, a little bit of respect as well. So, I think you put that very well because you're right. We And you've always championed women. You've always, um, you know, really had a place and a voice um, for making it a very respectful and um, – inclusive um society which i really appreciate about you yeah thank you i, I hope uh, it's yeah i <laughs> let's face it women are better tasters they've got better palates they uh, you know uh, they're just they're actually generally better at it um and i, and I hope it, it is as you said like that that experience from what you you've had from from whether it be restaurants and customers and also wine people in general is that that Assumption that you don't know enough because of your gender just fucking pisses me off, uh, and has always annoyed me. And and you know, thankfully, you know yourself and you know, to your generation of sommeliers coming up through the ranks have really, really ch- championed that and and proved all the naysayers so wrong, uh, and. You know, it's not we're not there yet, um, but it's certainly I like to think a lot further along than it has been, and and then again we're always reminded of certain things in the media that pop up, and not so long ago, uh, where we have uh, older white male commentators throwing saying stupid shit, and you go, oh come on guys, like seriously, are you that stupid? The world has changed. Move on. Just move on. 
Yeah, it's never been never more present, has it? <laughs> Too funny. <laughs> oh, seriously. You know, I, opened up, I opened up my social media the other day going, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> oh, Are you that stupid girl. to say something like that? Crazy. We got, And I'm sure everyone knows who we're all talking about. <laughs> I'm sure they do. I love that. We got deep. We got, we got, we got right there real quick, and I'm, I'm happy because of it. Um, I want to ask. You've had plenty of experience in media and wine journalism. I mean, I've got a million questions for you, so I'm going to have to like move through them. Otherwise, I, you know, I can't extract everything I want from you. Tell me about your experience in, in wine journalism. Gee, I wouldn't call myself a wine journalist, uh, probably a wine ranter, if anything. Um, I think when I, if I write anything about wine, it's, uh, it, it's probably – I hope, hope it comes from the heart. Like if, I, if I'm genuinely enthusiastic about something, uh, I can't help but say that. But in terms of wine journalism, especially from coming from a sommelier background, and, and I've asked this question a lot, and maybe I've asked this to you once, I can't remember, but when I, I you know, these great songs going, I've been asked to write a tasting note for a magazine or a publication. I go, awesome. Who did you think of when you wrote that tasting note? Was it the person you, sp- you see on a daily basis in the restaurant floor or did you think of another wine writer reading your review? And I can tell you 100% of the time it switches to the, the, another wine writer and that's, that's the challenge. It's like, hang on a minute, that's a problem because that goes into um, – one, uh, you know, you're, you're an excellent communicator because you do it on a daily basis and you've just dismissed that skill um, because then – and then you're automatically thinking of uh, generally, dare I say, an older and predominantly male-dominated wine media landscape judging your tasting notes. So you're trying to appeal to that audience who barely make up 1% of the wine drinking public and that's – <laughs> that's the problem. So if anyone's writing about why, and there's some, so many amazing writers, is having a fresh voice and thinking about the person in front of them every single time. Um, if there was any bit of advice, you, 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 it would be that. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's any time you're writing, you're thinking about who's reading this? Who am I doing this for? What are, what are they going to get out of it? And if it's a bunch of um, – boo hockey that hardly anybody understands. I mean, that doesn't serve anybody. Nobody's buying that wine if they can't understand the language around it. And that that brings me down to accessibility. Um, and you, and it's something that you, you talk about a lot and it's something that you do sensationally. It's in everything that you do. Um, talk about a little bit about education and mentorship and, and what that means to you. Oh, everything. Um, everything. Uh, I mean, I've been very privileged in, in in my career to have you know access to some great mentors, and I will always be, and always to any sommelier out there, my door email phone is open um, to any sort of advice that I can 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 share, but not from a point of like I know everything. I don't. I certainly don't. Um, but mentorship is key. Uh, and and I think with mentorship comes a, a place of feeling comfortable and safe, uh, and not judged. Uh, and again, that probably brings back into that question around empowerment um, of helping and confidence. And if you can help somebody 
um, be empowered with knowledge and confident in their role, they're, they're only going to grow and excel. And, that, and create, creating a, a culture around, um, and in this context, I say education, because you do have to, there is an educational point with you know, learning about why now. There's, there's books and reading and all that type of thing. Yes, absolutely. But still maintaining yourself and your own personality to, to grow and develop with your own opinions, I think that's key. And I think my only, uh, sometimes I get nervous sometimes where there's an emphasis on um, one particular style of education, like you have to do this, whether it's the quarter master sommeliers or WSET. Yeah, absolutely. They have a significant and important place, but don't lose yourself uh, and your own personality. Don't become a robot. <laughs> so it's, you, you, we want, we, you want that personality to come through and, and mentorship is key. Like it really, it really is. So anyone out there, just drop me a line. <laughs> I love that. And I love that. And it, it, and you're right. It's, it, sometimes I hear younger people say there's, you know, no one to look for. And I think that it comes uh, in both parts that you need to put yourself out there by asking for help or asking for someone to guide you, putting yourself forward, but also people like yourself saying, hey, I'm I'm, I am available, you know, it's, you know, you just need, you know, and, and saying that is really important. But did you have someone that you feel has mentored you over the, or there's someone that you look to? Oh, so many. Um, and as a matter of fact, a lot of them are women. Um, Angie Bradbury uh, would probably be one of my greatest friends and mentors. Um, she has helped guide me, uh, especially in terms of my business hugely um has given me the confidence to to do what we've done um massively um another friend of mine justine bloom who was an incredibly smart brand strategist um uh really helped me understand what we were trying to do what the essence of what pinot palooza was and helped me to still down all of that information um and then in terms of wine uh you know i've been like it's again I've been very privileged from a lot of, um, you know, a number of male, uh, you know, wine, hospitality people um, from across from, from winemakers to whatever. There's, there's a number. Um, but, yeah, this the, – and I think what I took from – learned a lot from people like Angie and, Just, and Juz, Justine, was the, the role, the importance of empathy in – what we're trying to do and and a reminder of hospitality first uh, and not and not ego um, but sometimes it is that competitive nature in wine a lot with um, especially with the male dominated industry that, that ego comes into play and oh, I'll tell this story briefly there was this one moment and I, I was and it was you know when you work hard in industry and you get to a point and uh, you're, you're at a wine table and, you know, I've worked so hard to get there and do all this. And, and I had that moment of clarity where I looked around the room and they were all men. And I kind of said to myself, I don't like you. I don't like you. And I actually really don't like you. What the fuck am I doing here? And... And I and I just and then I and I started a question going, hang on, this is what I'm supposed to work my career to do, and I just and I had to step away because it was just like that's not who I am. I've I don't feel comfortable. The anxiety 
that I had every single time I'd go into that room with those people. It was just really unhealthy. I just wanted to be surrounded by people who were uh, more like me and and confident of and be surrounded by that was my my friends and family. It was gender balanced and curious and and that's really what I wanted to do because it wasn't representative of the day-to-day that I saw from festivals or events or my hospitality brethren. Um, You know, I think it's that, yeah, it's uh, mentorship is key, getting the right mentors. And I think now that there are a lot of really great uh, people out there who are there to help and just asking, I suppose we bring it back to hospitality, it's like, the hardest thing in, if you're in a hard service is putting your hand up and saying, hey, my section's going down, like I'm going down. You know? But it's key because if you don't, the whole restaurant goes down as a result. So you, you know, being confident enough to go, hey, my section's going down, no problem. And as soon as anybody said that, you had a brigade of people behind you backing you up and supporting you. It wasn't about, oh, that person's doing a shit job. It was like, no, let, let, we're all in this together, let's go. Like, you need a hand, no worries, we'll help you because you knew that if that person who helped you asked for help, you would be there in a heartbeat. Um, I think that's what good mentoring should be is if somebody said, I, I would like to be mentored, you've got my attention and I'll help because even that point, that that first part is, is, is a big step. Yeah, I totally agree. And I love what you said about hospitality because I think what hospitality in essence does really well is hospitality of our own specific club and it's a club of experience and heartache and hard work and service and dedication to other people and then we do that really well in looking after our own team which is saying you know we went through it together we're in this we're going to come out the other side and it's and like you said it's you know kind of like going that feeling of going to war with other people and then kind of yeah it's surviving you know <laughs> um it is it it 100 percent is and and again it's like it's the whole when i say restaurants or hospitality it's the entire brigade you know, um, and, you know, being front of house is also hard. Being a chef is hard, you know. Chefs don't have a monopoly on stress and anxiety in hospitality. They don't. Uh, and that stems from all aspects of the business. So I get a little bit uh, triggered when I just hear very chef-focused stories about hospitality. It's like, hang on, mate. Like, <laughs> oh, no. I could tell and you some stories. <laughs> totally. I always say that too. I say, you know, you know, you're dealing with like-minded individuals that are all back here and we're dealing with the front of house, which is humans. And do you know how erratic and random they are? Like, they are so random. Like, you don't know what they want or what they're going to do next. And, and humans are just the most bizarre, you know, species ever. <laughs> oh, open kitchens were the greatest invention for hospitality ever. Like, because then all of a sudden you couldn't hide. And again, for my time in restaurants, I'd, so I'd take my chef, you know, they've said this about this, well, just tell them to get fucked. It was like, oh, you know, thanks. That's really helpful. You know, that's... That's really helpful, um, you know. Well, you, you know, come on, like you, that. That's not that's not a result. That's not an answer. And yeah, open open kitchens, best inventions ever. <laughs> mm, yeah, you're like, look at this crazy person I'm dealing with. Look at this. <laughs> oh, so true. Um, talking about, I want to talk about bottle shop concepts, which you established in 2013. 
Now, that has been no small undertaking. Tell me about the journey of 2013 and where you are today. I know it's a lot to cover, but give it a go. I've probably spent a lot of time with my therapist talking about that. But, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, well, yeah, Bottle was an idea of um, uh, came from just wanting to get into, jump into festivals. Um, and the first festival we did was Pinot Palooza, and that was back in 2012. Um, and... I had another business uh, which I, I, I sort of separated from my then business partner and then just wanted to go ahead and make this um, all about it. And Bottle Shop Concepts came from trying to find a, a name for this new business and I typed in Bottle Shop Proprietary Limited into the ABN search and it was available. And I was like, what? How did Bottle Shop PTYLTD in Australia be available as, an, as a name for a, a, a company? So I was like, okay, great, we'll take that. Um, but the whole idea about it was to focus on wine events um, and so we did Pinot Palooza uh, and, yes, Game of Rones, uh, which was which is such a lull, you know, and uh, and then really grew from there. Um, and, and it was funny. <laughs> Game, but, again, Game of Rones, it sounds so silly. Like, honestly, uh, um, people, would, people would dress up. I never said to anyone to dress up for this event. People would like punters and producers would dress up and we'd just taste wine. It was so ridiculous. However, the whole idea of it was to make it fun and accessible. Um, and the greatest, I think, compliment I ever had from a, from a guest who said at, at Game of Rones, because she was walking around looking a bit sort of nervous, I said, hi, here you go, can I help you? Um, and she said, yeah, I, I've never been to a wine tasting before. And I was like, oh, Awesome come here, let's go. Like, uh, you know, I think there was that that way of sort of – because it was so silly, people could be feel feel comfortable and that was a really good gateway. Um, I figured if they could come to Game of Rones, then they would go to Pinot Palooza and then they, then they would go to Rootstock, um, you know, and that, you know, which oh, I miss Rootstock. It's still one of the greatest food and wine events ever in Australia. Um and then look, we rebranded Bottle Shop Concepts to Revel, I think, in 2017. And that's, I suppose, really was sort of growing and growing. And we, we did Sake Matsuri. Uh, we had a Greek wine event called Inophilia. We did a Malbec Day. Yeah, it was all very much based around um, wine. But then, of course, Mould, um, uh, we did that in 2017. And and now it's the same size and scale as what Pinot Palooza is. It's, uh, it's incredible. So, uh, you know, it's been it's been a journey, but um, I, I like to think that we're still. Again, this sounds so wanky, marketing speak, but I, I still think we're in hospital. We're in hospitality first. Um, I like to. I hope that we, you know, we we see. Uh, we literally run a, um, a like a an event like we would run a restaurant service. We brief half an hour beforehand. The first and last impressions are absolutely critical. Uh, all of those things, uh, in essence, it's that idea of hospitality and making it fun and accessible. And at the start, I would always say to winemakers, you know, if I hear any um, mention of biomay levels, trellising systems, malactic fermentation or any other winemaking bullshit, I'll give you a red card. You know, it's tell them about who you are, why you're here, why you love what you do, what's special uh, about your place because people connect to people. Um, they don't connect to stainless steel tanks and, um, and it's like, oh, you know, and that's the thing, Was I remember, you know, training, you know, young Psalms and go, 
tell me about this wine. And they'd pick it up and go, well, it's picked at 13.5 biomates. It's primary fermentation stainless steel. And it was transferred to New French Oak. And I was like, I was like, you've just lost me. You've told me nothing about this wine. Um, tell me a story. You've got 30 seconds to a minute in front of somebody. Get it back down to that essence. And that's exactly the same with an event uh, for a wine producer. Um, you know, people say, well, what do I say? So, well, start with hello. <laughs> like, say hello. Um, you know, do you like wine? Yeah, cool. What sort of styles do you like? Okay, great. You know, start a conversation and, and, and help um, how we talk you know, from the producer point of view. And I get sometimes with wine, we, we, we have our own language that is so, you know, we talk about, you know, the deconstruction and, and wine judging and, you know, you know and, and analytical points, you know, it, wine show judging is, uh, is an autopsy. You know, we're we're dissecting a product, a glass, uh, what's in the glass. And then the the trick is with sometimes with wine is we take that analytical dissect wine dissection and then try to communicate that to a person. You can't sell autopsies. (laughs) Like you can't sell it. Like it, you know, that's going to appeal to, I don't know, a very small percentage of people. And if they're into autopsies, there's probably something quite weird and wrong with them. But, but I think with the, the, again, going to the events, it was like, just tell them a story. You know, why are you there? Everyone's, you know, we could all say that, you know, we're a five-star, you know, holiday-rated winery, you know, specialising in cool climate viticulture and sustainable practices. What's unique about your story? Um, why are you here? Um, and I, th- I hope that that's grown and grown. And we're through Revel with things like Pinot Palooza and I think, one of the big things that I loved, and, and, and this I was reminded about this recently because we did a, a new uh, low and zero alcohol event called Piccolo um, in February, was was community um, and, you know, of building a community of, of winemakers and cheesemakers and um, uh, and now low and zero. It was the start of that community that we're all doing this together and, you know, let, let's see what happens and engaging with an audience. Like that, that, that always... Um, that keeps me going in terms of what we do, um, of how do we nurture that audience uh, and, and listen to them go um, both ways, uh, and then just continue to grow it. So it's been, it's, been, it's been a journey. It's been a journey, Shanta. And let's not talk about you know uh, the COVID years. I mean, there wasn't a great period for anybody, but particularly mass gatherings. Um, you know, it was uh, we were the first to go and the last to come back, um, but we survived. You know, we were still here. I can't, I can't even imagine what that was like for you. I thought about you often and thought, you know, what you do is so important because you are able to break down those walls, make a place for everyone to be included. And as someone that attended Pinot Palooza as a paying um, entrant and somebody that's also, you know, contributed um, with you. But it was just always such an experience because it was so fun. It was so fun. People are literally tripping over themselves to get in the door and then they just have a great time. And, you know, from comedians to politicians I have met at Palooza, and we're all talking wine and we're all comfortable and it is just such a safe place. But it is something that's really, really hard to do. And I, I'll share with you the other day that I had an experience where I came home and I was really frustrated at that I was engaging with a few people about wine and um, they, I saw their um, 
insecurity and and sense uh, that because I was involved in wine, I was somehow judging them when something really random just came up about wine. And there was, you know, that kind of, oh, poncy snobbery, making fun of what I do a little bit. And I came away and I was so upset because I thought, you know, why, why, why am I upset? Do, that, do, do I want them to take me seriously? No, what's going on here? And I, I dissected and I thought, I'm just upset that, that that barrier is still there, that somebody doesn't know me, just knows I'm a wine professional and automatically assumes something that, you know, they're not going to be good enough or that they can't talk about wine or that I'm a snob. And I just thought, and that's why it's so important to have these events where we break it down and we get people involved and we go, you know what, if you enjoy wine, that's all that matters. Oh, 100%, Chantae. Like Pinot Palooza, we market Pinot Palooza like a music festival. Game of Thrones, we market it like a TV show. Why? Because when you ask someone what they think about wine, they feel immediately intimidated. You ask them what they think about music, they don't have the same issue. They'll tell you their favourite producer. Um, that what's your favourite TV show? It, no, like wine has done an incredible disservice from a product that is gives so much beauty and joy and excitement, but it is made it so elitist that it people still feel that now that's changing and that's because of really great wine bars and you know and, and festivals and a hot and a group of sommeliers who were coming up and just who just threw the rule book away um but it's like you know what's your favorite kind of music like there's no right or wrong answer it's the same with wine it's really it and and again, like, <clears throat> boy, I, like, I love asking what, what we do for our Pinot Palooza Club is ask the winemakers to pick a song to listen to on the way to the vineyard and, and a song to listen to when we drive away. And it's fascinating because you actually start to get to see the true per- the, the personality uh, of the person underneath it without all of the, the wine technical speak. You get to hear an insight into uh, what they listen to on a daily basis and and again, with with wine drinkers, and, and again, I, I hate the word consumer. I've never, I've, I've really, when talk about wine consumers, I hate that. You know, cows consume. You know, people eat and drink and communicate and and love and uh, you know and and get excited. And so I think it's. I like to think of audience and and people. Um, you know, and and making them feel comfortable. Um, and but yeah, I don't know. I just it frustrates me with wine sometimes. It's like it's so good, it's so delicious, and we make it so frigging complicated, um, you know. And yes, there's a place for technical and dissections, and absolutely, it's like watching a you know a Gus Van Sant movie like seven days a week. Like I can't, I couldn't deal with that trauma or David Lynch movie every night of the week. You know, every time, every now and then, I just want to watch, you know, the Avengers or Guardians or or Star Wars. Like I. You know, is it a super technical? No, it's not, but it just gives me joy. <laughs> like, it's just, like, it doesn't, wine doesn't have to be um, uh, a, a, a technical experience. It can just be a wonderful, easy, everyday experience. Um, and that's, it doesn't, there's a time and a place. And I think one of the best advice I ever had in wine, and it was, again, by a woman where she said, and she was a bit posh. She said, Daniel, my darling, wine is either a chat, conversation, lecture, or sermon. And at first I thought she was a bit silly, but then I really thought about it. She goes, well, the chat is you're catching up with a mate. What's the wine? Who cares? You're just having a chat. You haven't seen them forever. 
right? So it's just fueling that chat. Conversation is like if you, you know, if you went to a barbecue, you don't know anybody, it takes something a bit of a story. Um, oh, if I discovered this wine at, uh, you know, I, I've tasted this wine the last time I was in France and, you know, I, I just, it's really nice and blah, blah. So it's, it's a conversation starter. You know, if you want to get technical, you can. But it's just there, like it's it's an interest in an interest side of things. Uh, lecture, think about it as a, a dinner party. Um, you know that your friend's gone to a, the effort of cooking you a three course meal. So, you know what, take something, uh, take something a bit special as well. Um, and you sit down and you you have a meal and you let the wine open up and you can probably spend a bit of time talking about it if you want to, or if it's it's there, it's a bit more serious. And then there's the sermon, which is the stuff that probably we've gone to so many times where it's all about the wine where you're trying to you've got five wines in front of you and trying to pick the crude burgundies from and it wouldn't be burgundy anymore we can't afford that but you know you've you got to pin the tail on the donkey and you're dissecting it so you know if you take the chat to the you know to the sermon you'd be laughed out of the room but if you took the sermon wine to the chat it would be completely out of context and you wouldn't get the same experience you know wine can be whatever it wants to be just for, and i've always said <laughs> the right wine for the right occasion for me is more important than the right wine with the right dish yeah too true and i love that analogy it's a, it's a great way to kind of change the perspective a little bit about about it and i i mean i just i wonder if it is so much about language and like you said that you know i, I used to kind of sometimes ask guests in restaurants um not do you like the wine, but like, how does it make you feel? And, and I think, like you said, finding a, a communication line, like, what are you comfortable? Because I think it's unfair if someone says in a restaurant, you know, if you, ha- you know, I know we need to communicate what is going to be in the bottle and everything, but we need to find a way to do that for all people. But, you know, if someone says I don't like it and they don't have the language to tell you why they don't like it, we have to find another level of like, you know, what what kind of what kind of experience did you want to have from it? Or, or yeah, like you said, how did it make you feel? If if, if music you can re- and relate to that, then you know. So it, I I wonder if it is just about language, which is our stumbling block. And um, like I said, I, I mean, minds like yours are exactly why I I want to do this podcast and and why I want to keep doing this because I think that we have so so much further we can go. Um, but we have to be dedicated to it and we have to realise that, um, we're, like you said, there's, we're not there yet. We need to keep moving. As you said, language is, is key, right? And it's also the people who are talking about it as well. Um, and I, you're so right. I think people know more about wine than they think they do. It's just that they don't – they're being taught or made to feel intimidated about expressing their opinion on it. But everyone's got um, a different olfactory memory, and this is getting a bit nerdy and technical. They've got different ways of describing pretty much the same thing. Like the wine doesn't change. It's just three – wine people could pick have five wines in front of them and not have the same preferences. Like we can't even figure that out. <laughs> like so how do we uh, – you know, how do we expect, you know, all wine drinkers or um, consumers – ugh, such a bad word uh, – to – to, to have the tools to to communicate that but it's but you're right you know it is it's communication and how that's been spoken and you know it's like saying <laughs> i love this once it's like you know the wine it, it's so the wine's really quiet and it's whispering to you it's like okay well whispering can be two things right it can be really quite seductive it's like oh you know what are they saying but it can also be really annoying because you're like, I can't hear what you're saying. 
Or creepy. <laughs> or creepy. Or creepy. Exactly. It could be three things. Uh, so it's different ways. Everyone's got a different way of interpreting what's in the glass because they're different experiences. And I think that's great. And maybe that's because I kind of tend to, maybe it's the hospitality in me where I lean into chaos. I'm better in chaos. I'm, uh, you know, and Peter Marchant, uh, we worked with such so many years, amazing communicator with events. And we were hospo born and bred, you know, so we're, we would be at the, an event and, He's, he'd come up to me and go, everything's really smooth, isn't it? I'm like, yeah. He goes, I don't like it. I'm like, neither do I. Something's like, something's going to go wrong, isn't it? I'm like, I know. Quick, let's go, you know, let's let's get ready because it's going to come. You know, it's that hospitality spidey sense. But um, Totally. The eye of the storm. It's terrifying. Oh, <laughs> I know. Chaos. Give me chaos. But look, Shanta, I think you're so right. And it's, it's language. It's communication. It's uh, being open. Uh, to and listening to what people are saying and being cu- being curious you know just curious that that's the biggest thing if anyone's into wine it's curiosity it's why we do it and you know it's, if we can help empower people uh, to make a decision so the next time they go to a restaurant or a wine bar or a bottle shop um, they feel a little bit more confident about what they're purchasing job done job done well, I think you are leading, as per usual, leading by example, and uh, we're grateful for it. Um, I mean, I could talk to you all day about this. I'm really getting quite a lot out of this for myself. I should probably think about um, my listeners as well. So talk to me about three drinks for the rest of your life. What are they going to be and why? Oh, I, I, when you said that, oh, you were going to tell me you were going to ask this. I was like, this is such a good question. And I was thinking, what would it be? And I said, one, I have to say, I haven't been, for some reason, I'm not drinking a lot of beer these days and I have half a beer and it's really disturbing. But I've been drinking that um, amazing Tina uh, drink, that zero alk um, uh, drink. It it is so refreshing. It has become my beer replacement. I just smash cans of that. It is so delicious um, and really refreshing. So that would be one, and I figured the second one, it'd have to be like really nice rosé because you can't drink rosé upset. (laughs) It's pink and fun and, you know, it it goes across. um, It could be a pre-dinner could go with, uh, could go with some, you know, up to sort of main sort of food on a summer's day, on its own, with friends in the park, it's it's quite. There's a lot of utility uh, with rosé, uh, and and this the styles are, are very vast, uh, and it's really like interesting. But also, it's a nice drink that I have. You know, it reminds me just to just calm down and put it, and it puts a smile on your face. And then and then I think it's got to be Pinot, right? Like I can't not. I have to acknowledge Pinot Noir in all its wonderful varied forms because you get you get. Um, you know, you get fizz out of that and you get you can have white Pinot, but, you know, Pinot Noir. Um, and, of course, from Gippsland, Pinot, being that I'm, a, I'm now a, a fully-fledged Gipster uh, living in South Gippsland. Um, but, again, Pinot Noir because it's, because it's the great variety that excites me the most and also disappoints me the most because, you know, when it's good, it's great, and when it's bad, it's just expensive. Yeah, it's all the emotions. You're right. It's, it's all just the, it is, it's the roller coaster. It's, Oh, and if you give some like Pinot Noir is one of those varieties that they could be the blokiest of blokes, and they start spurting 
poetry when they talk about it with a lot of S words, you know, svelte, you know, sophisticated, you know, subtle. You know, it, it's quite funny and it's, the, it's all, again, talk about show judging, it's the, it's the great variety that polarises people the most and, I, again, it's the discussion and the, and the curiosity that comes from it. Um, and, heck, you know, it's, it's sort of it's a variety that has helped probably define my, my career with things like Pinot Palooza and every year there's um, there's so many amazing wines and watching um, especially Australian Pinot Noir and, uh, and of course, New Zealand Pinot Noir come to um, the front, uh, the evolution of, of, of great Australian and Kiwi Pinot is pretty mind-blowing. It's um, I drink a lot of it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Do you know, I... It's it's so it's so good. It's too hard to put into to words, really, isn't it? But um, I actually got myself in a bit of trouble the other day because I was working with somebody, and uh, I certainly cannot name names. And someone said to me, "We want this to be the biggest thing that's happening in wine and the biggest event." And I was like, "Peanut Palooza is the biggest damn event that's happening in wine. I don't know what you guys are talking about, but you're not even going to come close." And then I was like, "Oh God, I'm working with these people. Shut up." <laughs> <laughs> oh, look! It's it, you know, it, it, Pilus is so much fun. Like, it, but it also it got it got too big. Um, now, as much as I love a Pinot Pinot mosh pit, as it was at the Royal Exhibition Buildings, and four thousand people drinking one grape variety is wild. Um, it, it went. We're certainly not going back that way. We've come back to a bit more session based and just pulling it back. You know, it's like let's just let's just you know. I don't think post COVID, I was like, oh, that's um. You know, I was looking at photos of Pinot Palooza and they're just packed full of people and it was great, but also I'm like, oh, God, no, that the thought of that just gives me anxiety. And, and spittoons, there was like, there was open buckets of people spit everywhere. I'm like, oh, my God, that's so disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, some would see opportunity there. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, I know, I know. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's good fun. It's always been fun. It's nice. It's nice that it's back and still um, growing and thriving and um, evolving. I'm really glad to hear that for you because, like I said, you know, you guys, you did really get the brunt of it and I'm thrilled that people are gathering again and I'm thrilled that your events are happening because they are very necessary. They are important in our industry and they're doing wonderful things the world over. So congratulations, Dan. It's been stratospheric chatting to you today and I knew it would be. Um, yeah. And I just, you know, have so much appreciation and, and love what you do and, um, Always love having a good old chat to you. No, mate, Shante, thank you so much. And you're an absolute legend. I love what you're doing with this podcast. I listen so to so many interviews, pretty much all of them, um, and what you're doing around, uh, again, your own community here is, is, is potent and uh, exceptional. And you're a voice we should be listening to. Thank you so much, mate. I hope we get to have a drink sometime soon. And thank you very much for being on the podcast. Cheers to you. Cheers. Is over a glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at over a glass pod and contact us at over a glass at deepintheweeds.com.au.